This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's six o'clock and you are listening to Community Radio. Today is Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. After hours of debate, California's Reparations Task Force has decided who will be eligible to receive compensation. COVID cases are surging in Europe and Asia, and the new BA.2 Omicron subvariant is now responsible for a growing portion of cases here in the Golden State. The California report examines the data to figure out what we might expect. Felton Pruitt chats with the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce Executive Director before we close with a commentary by Christine Newsom. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. After hours of debate Tuesday, California's Reparations Task Force cast a historic vote deciding who will be eligible to receive compensation. Race and equity reporter Christina Kim from KPBS in San Diego has the details. California's Task Force on Reparations has been meeting since last summer to figure out how to address the continued harms of U.S. slavery from giving Black people direct payment to changing housing policies. But one question has always loomed large. Who exactly will be eligible for reparations? On one hand, you have those who say race should be central, making the majority of Black Californians eligible. And on the other, you have those that believe that reparations should be lineage-based and reserved for those that directly descended from U.S. chattel slavery. After hours of tense debate, the task force officially voted in a five to four vote for a lineage-based approach. Uh, The ayes have it and the motion carries. Chair Camila Moore read the approved motion. The community of eligibility will be based on lineage determined by an individual being an African-American descendant of a chattel enslaved person or the descendant of a free black person living in the United States prior to the end of the 19th century. Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who authored the bill that made this task force, spoke in favor of the lineage approach earlier this year. Reparation is for those who are the descendants of slaves first because of the devastation they suffered from hundreds of years of no wages and no ability to own land and accrue wealth. But task force member and civil rights lawyer Lisa Holder advocated for including all black Californians with a special consideration for descendants of enslaved people in order to address prevailing anti-blackness. You must stop the racism. That is reparations. You do not use the term reparations if you are not prepared to do that. And the system that folks are advocating here, where we're going to splice things up and have this Specificity where only one small slice of the black population is being remediated, that will not abate the harm of racism. Again, that was race and equity reporter Christina Kim with KPBS in San Diego. With COVID cases surging in Europe and Asia, one of the big questions on a lot of people's minds is, are we next? Well, the new BA2 subvariant is now the dominant strain in the U.S., and it's responsible for a growing portion of cases here in California. But it's not driving a surge, at least not yet. KQED health correspondent Leslie McClurg joins me now to discuss what's going on and what we can expect. 
Well, we know it's really, really good at its job because it spreads extremely fast. There's a, a recent study out of Sweden showing that the viral loads that someone carries after getting this are twice as high with this new BA2 subvariant compared to the original Omicron variant, which, as we know, as we remember, was very transmissible. I'd say the good news about this new variant is that it does not seem to make people any sicker than the original Omicron variant. You know, for most people, especially those who were, you know, vaccinated or boosted, um, you may get this, but you're not going to get, you know, super sick. So far in Europe, you know, where this thing is surging, it's not causing any more, you know, need for intensive care inside European hospitals. If that's the case, is there any reason to worry? Well, I mean, cases are still dropping here in California. Just in the last two weeks, cases have dropped. And ER use here is not increasing and death rates are continuing to fall. So we are not seeing really the impact of this subvariant yet. It is here. We know that it's here. We've seen that in wastewater data. Um, but we're not really feeling it. And I, I want to highlight that, you know, there's kind of a, a yet. There is a potential for a surge here. And really, whether or not that surge will, will make a difference or make an impact, especially in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, will largely be determined by how many people are vaccinated in a community and then how many you know, older people are boosted. So a place with a lot of protection you know, should be OK. So just looking throughout the state, are we seeing any surges? We are not seeing any surges yet. And, and we may not, you know, in a place like the Bay Area, where we experienced the recent Omicron surge and that, you know, immunity that came out of that combined with the really high vaccine rates here leaves this area with about a, like about 90 percent coverage. And yet we know it's here. Wastewater data is showing that. And it is starting to push up cases here, but nothing like a surge. And we're also seeing some very slight upticks in you know, some other counties like Plumas County and Los Angeles County. And if we were going to see a surge, we would likely see it in a place, you know, rural areas or the Central Valley where vaccine rates are, are lower. So who is most at risk? Anyone who isn't vaccinated and didn't get Omicron in the last surge. Given a potential surge and the approval of a fourth booster shot for folks over 50, should someone try to hurry and rush out to get one? I mean, there's not really any data on that yet. And I'm obviously not a doctor, but experts that I trust suggest that if you had COVID recently, if you got it in this last Omicron surge and you're up to date on your booster right now, you probably don't need to race out and get that fourth shot if you're over 50 just yet. Probably watch local case data and, you know, in a month or two, then it's probably a good idea to get that fourth shot. There's some really compelling data that just came out of Israel suggesting that that fourth shot is a really good idea, especially in, in terms of avoiding death for, for older people. All right, Leslie McClurg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. Paint care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement.
And a quick correction to a story yesterday. In a report on a new bill to protect election workers in California, we misstated the legislator's first name. It's State Senator Josh Newman of Orange County, not Scott Newman. We regret the error. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, March 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Locally, Nevada County reported just one new COVID-19 case today. 21 cases are active. One case is listed as actively hospitalized. This afternoon, just before 1 p.m., a citizen brought what he believed was a stick of dynamite to the Nevada City Police Department for disposal. The 200, 300, and 400 blocks of Broad Street were evacuated. Here's Nevada City's Interim Chief of Police, Ted Steck. A gentleman uh, related to us that he, roughly 20 years ago, a friend or acquaintance of his, uh, brought him a stick of dynamite. He stored it, forgot about it, and uh, when he was cleaning out his uh, garage today, uh, he saw it and decided the right thing to do was to bring it to the police department for us to dispose of it. it, it, it certainly uh, caused concern inside the police department and, and startled our receptionist, understandably so. And we had him exit quickly with uh, the alleged stick of dynamite and put it in his car, secured the area. We began a protocol of evacuation and contacting the, the explosive experts. Uh, we did a push on our social media and also the code read through the dispatch center and evacuated per the uh, experts' uh, suggestions to us. We we went a little bit farther just in case, uh, safety. And as you can see, the streets are now uh, cleaned up of and cleared of law enforcement. The device was safely extracted. It's uh, considered an M-type explosive, and uh, the experts grabbed it, and they'll dispose of it appropriately. Turning now to the weather, our region will have mostly sunny days for the rest of the week with no precipitation in the 10-day forecast. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly cloudy, then clearing with a low of 42 degrees. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 67 and a low in the mid-40s. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe tonight, partly cloudy with a low in the mid-20s. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 54. Tonight in Sacramento and Woodland, partly cloudy with a low of 48. Mostly sunny Thursday with a high in the mid-70s. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next... Felton Pruitt brings us the Nevada City Chamber Report. We're talking with Stuart Baker. He's Nevada City's Chamber of Commerce Executive Director. And a lot going on in downtown Nevada City right now. Stuart, uh, I don't know where you want to start. Maybe with the commercial street work that's going on right now? Sure. Thanks, Felton. Thanks for having me on your show. Commercial street, yeah, it's going to look wonderful in June. Right now, it's a work in progress because they're jackhammering the sidewalks and taking out asphalt and putting in pipes and running conduit, etc. But it's all going to be completed by the end of May, beginning of June, and we're really excited about it. 
And the one thing I will say, though, if you care about those merchants that are on commercial now, if you're able to come down and support them, that would be so appreciated because, you know, if you've run a business before, you know how hard it is when things like this come up. But yeah, the plans, we have a, a banner on the side showing exactly the plans of how things are going to look when everything is done. And uh, we're looking for a, a really enhanced experience for people and a really cozy space because it's, it's really one of the most cozy spots in uh, Nevada City. So what's Commercial Street going to look like when the project is finished? So the street itself will be 14 feet wide, and that won't change from the top uh, where J.J. Jackson's is all the way down to Three Forks. But the sidewalk, since the street isn't perfectly parallel, uh, the sidewalks are going to go and be wider in spots than in others. And so that's going to be the big change that you'll see. But with those, they're going to have the granite curb cuts, which are going to be spiffed up and and looking really nice. So it'll have some of the charm of of another era, but there'll be more space to walk around and uh, have places for people to drink a cup of coffee or enjoy the ambiance. So that'll be the big change once it's done. One thing we're planning when it is done, we're going to have a celebration of the completion on the uh, 10th of June, the day before Village Market Day, and that's a Saturday night, and we're going to have a long table event similar to what happened about seven years ago, I believe, Uh, and it'll be our postponed award ceremony that we have once a year for community members that um, deserve some recognition. It'll be a table basically uh, seating 100 folks, and we'll have uh, food from the local restaurants all around, and we'll have their award ceremony there. And uh, hopefully the the terrazzo lights will be up at that point, and it'll be a a beautiful, beautiful way to to celebrate the uh, rebirth of of that street. So is it going to be a functioning street? Will it be one-way traffic? It will be, and it will have uh, bollards at each end of where I described, where J.J. Jackson's is, Three Forks, that will come up and will allow for very easy closure when events occur that we'd like to see. Maybe uh, ultimately it's decided that it's closed every weekend or only for events. That hasn't been decided yet by council. But uh, that will give that easy opportunity to close things off without having to have any barricades up. Which way is the traffic going to go? Is it going to go from J.J. Jackson's down to Three Forks or from Three Forks up to J.J. Jackson's? You know, ooh, that's a great question. I don't even know the answer. Okay. Well. <laughs> I'm presuming it's going down, but I, I think we'll uh, we'll have folks decide or, or uh, maybe that'll be an incentive for people to come out and see how it looks. I was looking at the website for the NevadaCityChamber.com and I saw something called the Earth Fest Street Fair coming up on April 30th. What's that all about? So that is um, our rendition of uh, celebrating the Earth and uh, a place of, of where we need to be right now in terms of uh, looking at ways that we can lighten our uh, carbon and other types of footprints. So um, that's going to be on the Saturday before the start of the regular farmer's market in the same footprint. So just pretend that the farmer's market starting a week earlier and at that first event, we're going to be having 
um, all sorts of, of uh, activities um, related to learning about how you, you can live more sustainably. We have uh, 20 vendors so far and we're adding more and uh, there'll be music and other activities. And so uh, that should be a, a great event, uh, event to, to kick off. It's the first year we've done it. And so we're looking to uh, see how that goes, see what the response is. And normally it would happen on the actual Earth Day itself, but uh, ironically, the car show is in downtown Grass Valley, and we want to maximize the opportunity for people to come to see this event, and so we didn't want to compete with something that was going to be a challenge. So um, that's, yeah, coming on April 30th. All right. Is there anything else you want folks to know about right now about downtown Nevada City? So we're going to bring Art Walk back down on first Fridays of each month, and that's going to be starting in June, on the 2nd of June, and uh, we're looking to have more music out there. We have a number of uh, merchants enrolled, and so that's something to look forward to. That could be a great opportunity for you to come down and see how Commercial Street is looking. So uh, that's um, something to look forward to with the summer. And then, of course, Summer Nights is way down the road in July, but we're planning on having that be um, as it was last summer, which was a great successful event, and people felt really excited about being outside. And one more thing, on the 5th of April, which is next Tuesday, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., we're doing our annual spring cleanup. And it's this opportunity for you to volunteer and help bring the the beauty that Nevada City has. We'll be painting curbs, doing some weeding, uh, working with planters, etc. And that will be a volunteer event. Again, meeting at the chamber, 8 o'clock in the morning, goes till 1 o'clock. We'll be providing some lunch for folks afterwards. And it should be a great time, and the weather's predicted to be a beautiful day. So we hope to see you there, too. What was the date for that again? That is April 5th, next Tuesday. All right. Well, if folks want to get in touch or find out more about downtown Nevada City, they can always go to nevadacitychamber.com. And I guess the best number to call you guys is 530-265-2692? That's correct. We've been talking with Stuart Baker. He's Nevada City's Chamber of Commerce Executive Director. Thank you for your time, Stuart. Great. Thank you, Felton. Take good care. We close tonight with a commentary by Christine Newsom. This Saturday, April 2nd, the Rotary Clubs of Western Nevada County will be holding a collection of lithium-ion rechargeable batteries and devices at the Lytton Building in Grass Valley from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Electrify everything. That's what many experts say is the solution to our climate and energy crises. After all, the renewable sources of electricity, wind, solar, and some hydro, are now cheap enough that their cost is lower than energy generated from fossil fuels. But the weak link in this argument is storage. How can we rely on electricity from renewable sources in a stable, dependable way when the batteries which store that electricity are so problematic. Rechargeable batteries require lithium, cobalt, nickel, and copper, minerals which are rare, primarily mined in poor countries under deplorable conditions, and causing terrible environmental damage. The carbon footprint 
of mining the ingredients and manufacturing these batteries could outweigh the benefit of bypassing the fossil fuels. So, is there a solution? The good news is, yes, there is a solution. There are now several companies in the U.S. which are collecting spent, rechargeable, or lithium-ion batteries from household laptops, cell phones, tablets, e-readers, and other household devices, such as shavers, toothbrushes, wireless headphones, and so on. And they extract the still-useful minerals to be remade into new rechargeable batteries. These companies also contract with electric car manufacturers to recycle their e-car batteries, as well as companies like Amazon, Panasonic, and Specialized Bicycles. The extraction process is highly efficient, capable of removing over 95% of the cobalt, nickel, graphite, and copper, and over 80% of the lithium. In other words, these batteries could be recycled over and over again. One of these companies is Redwood Materials, based in Carson City, Nevada, founded by former Tesla COO J.P. Straubel. Straubel recognized that electric cars were the wave of the future, but worried about how the supply of batteries could be maintained. He soon came to the realization that, in his words, the largest lithium and cobalt reserves in the Western Hemisphere sit in America's junk drawers, and that if he could get access to those reserves, the materials could be recycled into new batteries. Thus, Redwood Materials was born, which now recycles the minerals from these end-of-life batteries into new ones. Another company involved in lithium-ion battery recycling is called LiCycle. They project that the global rechargeable recycling market will grow from about $1.5 billion now to about $18 billion in 2030. That's a 12-fold increase. Their goal is that recycling may actually surpass geologic mining. Whether recycling can ever replace mining, their company rep was doubtful. This would mean, for example, if 1,000 electric cars are produced in one day, then 1,000 car batteries would need to be broken down. But still, that is his hope. To paraphrase what he said, we need to be unbuilding and remanufacturing everything we build to live in a sustainable world. Harvesting and donating your rechargeables, whether batteries or devices that contain them, is an easy, important step you can take in helping create that sustainable world. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this evening. You can listen to it again on our website, kvmr.org, or by subscribing to the KVMR News Podcast. KVMR gets support from listeners from all over the world and from Ben Franklin Crafts, celebrating National Craft Month by offering classes, demonstrations, and more. For arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, and knitting, 
and information about National Craft Month celebration, benfranklin-crafts.com. And Sweetland Garden Mercantile in downtown North San Juan, offering fruit trees, veggie starts, fertilizers, organic soils, and drip irrigation for spring garden preparation. More information at sweetlandgm.com or 292-9000. Dig it. Keep it tuned to your favorite radio station. Next, The Sages Among Us. Tonight, host Keith Porter will talk to Anita Wald-Tuttle, co-founder of the Unitarian Universalist Church of the Mountains. Then, at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thank you for listening and for supporting independent local media. I'm Claudio Mendonça. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.